John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, this is going to be awesome. How are you doing, my friend? What's up, Brad? I'm doing great. How's everybody doing? All good? All good. Thank you for having me back. Obviously, a lot has changed since uh, not only Poisons, but when I did my Behind the Music. A lot of stuff coming at us, uh, a lot of personal things, a lot of professional things, but I love the challenge and I love being in the game. He came to L.A. armed with relentless dedication to a rock and roll dream. With Poison, Brett Michaels became the frontman of the ultimate party band, and everybody was invited. But their quest for fame led to personal heartbreak. Years of toxic behavior took its toll and began to tear the band apart. When Poison stopped, Brett kept going. While his solo career soared, Brett's life took a sudden and very serious turn. Brett's belief helped him get back on his feet and back on stage. Now, Brett Michaels is reflecting on key moments in his life, giving new insights on his past, and sharing his secrets to rock and roll success. This is Brett Michaels, the story behind the music. In 2019, Brett Michaels was looking to channel his emotions into a new song. So he turned to a unique collaborator, his daughter, Georgia. I think a lot of people, if not all of us, go through moments in our life that are really tough. And my daughter was going through a really tough time in her life. And I was going through a a pretty low moment in my life. And we sat down and we wrote a song together called Unbroken. And it is truly about perseverance. The music video rapidly gathered over one million views online as Brett passed on the power of positivity to his children. I love my daughters. What I try to teach them is is how to handle when adversity comes at you. Brett Michaels' unbroken spirit took root in the working class town of Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Born Brett Michael Sychak in 1963, he was the oldest of three children. Growing up in a small town was an awesome experience. I had a lot of great friends. Everyone knew each other, a very tight-knit community. I always said that if all the kids you had were like Brett, you might have six or seven. But his idyllic childhood took a near tragic turn when he was just six years old. I felt really all the time like I had the flu, completely tired. They took me to Harrisburg Hospital, um, the emergency room, at about 3 in the morning. And at that point, um, my blood sugar levels were extremely, extremely high. And the doctor just said, "You're you're in trouble, and this is what's wrong. Brett was diagnosed with juvenile diabetes and remained hospitalized for three weeks. They were giving me all these injections, testing my blood, had me hooked up to all these IVs. I started out taking four injections a day, and you're testing your blood all the time. 
We tried to maintain that he could do anything, but he had to make sure he kept track of his insulin or how he felt. I look at it as a blessing because it made me kind of in touch with, you know, how fragile life is and to really enjoy it while we got it. I just accepted it and I just had to work a little harder. Like they said, I had to go a thousand yards to get a hundred yards. And I think that may have actually played a big part in, in my career and truly being fearless. And that came from my family. The diagnosis did little to slow Brett down. As a teenager, he began playing guitar, inspired by the hard rock he constantly cranked in his bedroom. People like Kiss and Bon Scott from ACDC, David Lee Roth, Van Halen. He had this energy and this charisma when he hit that stage that was just unbelievable. I just knew that's what I wanted to do. And that focus went completely into my music and it was no holds barred. In 1979, Brett joined forces with drummer Ricky Rocket. I had this band and we needed a singer. And our bass player said, hey, I'm working at this restaurant. This guy just started bussing over here and he's got his own PA and he's a singer. I'm like, he's got his own PA? It, we'll figure, if he can't sing, we'll figure it out. <laughs> As the Spectres and later Paris they paid their dues cranking out cover tunes on the Pennsylvania bar circuit. Brett, Ricky, bass player Bobby Dahl, and guitarist Matt Smith packed their gear in early 1984 and headed for Rock's Promised Land, the Sunset Strip. I knew the day that we left that our lives would never be the same. We literally finished that show, this is no lie, and we drove to Los Angeles that evening. You have to get outside of your comfort zone. And the only thing you have is each other, and, and you better have tough skin. You've got to believe in yourself if anyone else is going to. We bet on ourselves. I never knew if we were going to make it, but I never thought we wouldn't make it. For four boys from Pennsylvania, the Strip was a funhouse of decadence and debauchery. A combustible combination of lipstick, leather, and power cords. The Sunset Strip in the mid-80s was a magical and wonderful time when the women wore spandex and the men wore spandex and the women wore makeup and the men wore more makeup. Paris renamed themselves Poison soon after arriving in Hollywood. They weren't rock stars yet. They sure looked the part. What we wore on stage is what we wore on the street. If we're going to be somebody, we better look like we're somebody. <laughs> you know? On the Sunset Strip, Brett met Tracy Lewis one night in April of 84. Brett was out in, the, in front of the Troubadour, and he told me that um, I should come to his show. He would make me a deal. If I came to his show and didn't have more fun than I had in my whole life, he would be forced to take me on a date. When I met Tracy, I thought she was hot. I was very attracted to her. We were best friends, and we did everything together. She was there very early on in my career. You know, she was supportive of it. I felt that I was in a really great relationship. We were in love, desperately in love. We, you know, we we're kids. Britt's passion for Tracy was matched only by his desire for rock stardom. He and Poison were on a mission to build their audience one flyer at a time. 
You had to be smart. You had to be a businessman. You had to go out and sell yourself to get people to go to their shows. We're like, we've got to promote. We've got to let people know we are crazy. So we'd make up these crazy flyers. They worked harder than any band I've ever known. And as scared as I was, I mean, believe me, I wanted to break down and cry because I'm like, man, I, I got nothing. I'm diabetic. I've got no money. We're out here with what we've got. Poison worked hard on their music and were desperately looking for a record deal. But the boys from Pennsylvania only found abject poverty. It was extremely tough, looking the way we did, trying to survive. I'm talking about living with cockroaches, a sleeping bag behind a dry cleaner in downtown Los Angeles for three years like that. We lived true communal living. I mean, there was one pot, we all pissed in it. We didn't have any money. I remember one time I ran out of eyeliner, I used a magic marker. We knew we were gonna have to work part-time jobs, whatever it took, just to survive to eat. The struggle eventually proved too much for guitarist Matt Smith, who quit Poison and returned home in early 1985. The band auditioned dozens of replacements and nearly selected a young gun named Slash, until platinum-haired CeCe DeVille walked into the room. He was the most obnoxious, loud, boisterous, in-your-face, sell-himself kind of guy that you'll ever meet. He came in late. He didn't learn any of the songs. Brett comes in. He goes, listen, I don't care if you're Burt Baccarat. You have to learn our songs. But the second he picked up and plugged in, he just hit some open chord. You know, he picked it up and he went, and I went, oh, yeah. The addition of CeCe helped take Poison to a new level of popularity. Local Buzz landed Poison a deal with Enigma Records, which released their debut, Look What the Cat Dragged In, in August of 1986. But the album was flatlining on the charts until early 1987 when Brett insisted they shoot a video for the single Talk Dirty to Me. Everyone in Enigma, everyone was ready to give up, and I literally said, we need just to scrounge enough money together. And I want to say five to seven grand, which is unheard of, shooting a video back in that day. Brought all of our friends, and we shot Talk Dirty to Me. I just remember that song got stuck in my head from the second I heard it. There was just uh, this great sense of passion. You could see that they were enjoying themselves, and it just challenged you to have a good time. They were like, I dare you not to enjoy this. Between the look, the attitude, and the music, it was just one big hook to pull you in. Dude, you can't deny a good hook, man. The video blew up on MTV, and the exposure turned Poison into superstars overnight. We truthfully believed in what we were doing. We were having a time of our life. Our dream was happening. In 1987, Poison had found the right formula to rock their way into the mainstream. But behind the musical harmony that fueled the band was a very turbulent relationship. At the same time, there was chemistry, there was a natural friction between Brett and I. It was a love-hate relationship of biblical proportions. Which would only be healthy because it would only like try to make us go a little bit further. That energy, that dichotomy, that is also what makes for an incredible song, an incredible show, 
I've talked to Brett, and I've met CC. Very big personalities. Sometimes big personalities aren't always on the same page. And that tension will drive you to do something just to go, there you go. It's so petty sometimes being in a band because you're like, yeah, all right, I'll show you. Watch this. I'm not going to say there wasn't some truly heated times. We could get in a knockdown drag out, true fist fight. And the next day you shook hands and you went right back to it. Despite the tension, Poison's rock and roll fantasy was becoming a reality. Their relentless work ethic was finally paying off. When I was writing the lyrics to Cry Tough, it was exactly what was going through then, and I keep in my mind now to this very day. The spirit of Poison songs has always been looking out on the horizon, and that comes from Brett. There's so much hope and so much dreaming. One year after its release, Poison's debut, Look What the Cat Dragged In, clawed its way to number three on the charts. And by the spring of 1987, the album had gone platinum. It went insane. We don't know what happened. We can't explain it. I mean, once it exploded, it was huge. It was overnight. I just remember we were touring and touring, and we did an in-store. And I remember it was like a riot. It was like from like being nobodies to all of a sudden, you know, you're everywhere. Everything was just bigger, better now. That really set up what the 80s was. And for a kid who had nothing but wanted everything, I mean, that was very appealing. When Poison took their show on the road, they feasted on their newfound fame. We're just two rock and roll dudes and a loose party of moon. Ow! Mayhem, chaos, pure adrenaline, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. If you can't have a good time at a Poison concert, you're pretty up individual. Everybody wants to have a good time. People who want relationships, they want love. I think when you go to a concert, the music's primitive, and that's what this party was meant to be then and now. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Poison's non-stop touring meant the party never ended, and the band had no problem keeping pace. Probably my biggest downfall early in my career was I would party for six and seven months at a time. Everything got out of control. As far as the drugs and alcohol go, it was like a Roman candle blown off at both ends, and eventually it's going to get to the middle and explode. Poison's toxic lifestyle was taking a toll on the diabetic lead singer. In March of 87, Brett collapsed after the band's biggest gig to date at New York's Madison Square Garden. I didn't know where I was at. I didn't know where the audience was. I couldn't think of my name. He just went down. I was like, wow. I mean, it looked like Tyson hit him or something. I woke up in the emergency room. That's all I remember. When that whole thing happened, you know, 
word on the street was, you know, he's a junkie. And that's when I decided to tell the world. I said, look, that's not the case. I'm a diabetic. I'm insulin dependent. The road would soon claim another casualty. Brett's relationship with first love, Tracy Lewis. The road is not conducive to a successful relationship. It's really, really hard. It is very tough being in a committed relationship when there is so much temptation. All this, as they say, forbidden fruit floating around out there. I was having a hard time liking him anymore. He was changing. It really wasn't anywhere close to, to the person that he really was. Britt says their love affair came to a sudden halt in the summer of 1987 when he called Tracy late one night from a Dallas laundromat and heard another man's voice in the background. Waiting for my clothes to wash and dry, used the payphone and made a phone call um, to my then girlfriend. But I will tell you this as a guy who thought I was in love, to hear her talking and whispering and to hear another guy's voice in the background was pretty devastating for me. No, no. There was infidelity, there were two people in the relationship. So you do the math. I literally hung the phone up and it was an awful feeling. And so I sat in the laundromat and wrote Every Rose Has a Storm. I wrote that song with no intention of it ever being a hit. That song was just for me. Every Rose Has Its Thorn was released as a single in December of 1988. The power ballad became the ultimate 80s anthem of heartbreak and Poison's biggest hit. But for both Brett and Tracy, the song's success was bittersweet. It wasn't until actually I heard it on the album that I realized, oh my gosh, that's like a day out of my life. It felt a little like everybody's peeking in on our heartbreak. When I play Every Rose Has a Thorn today, it will always um, have that feeling of bittersweet in it. That's what the song is about. Some of the most incredible songs are born from the most pain. And people can relate. They've gone through it, they've been there, they've felt it. Obviously with Tracy and myself, our lives have moved on in different directions. She was a wonderful, awesome human being and a big part of my life. But the truth of the matter is, is that song will always be a bittersweet moment in my life. In 1988, Poison released their second album, Open Up and Say Ah. It sold over seven million copies and launched three top 10 hits, including the party anthem, Nothing But A Good Time. The great thing about that song is that it can appeal to anyone. They knew the spirit of their fans. They just want to go and have a good time. It was a message Brett took to heart each and every night. You're done with the show. It's 12 o'clock at night and your heart's pounding and you walked off stage. I shoot down a couple shots and I feel great and a couple shots lead to a few more shots. Then you want to stay up so it leads to some substance and then you want to go to sleep, so you take this, and then you realize you have a problem. The whole band was dabbling with drugs, but guitarist CeCe DeVille was hitting the hard stuff with a vengeance. 
We were very successful. We all had money and everything that you can want. And then all of a sudden, it's like your real life exceeds your dreams. But then if you still kind of feel empty, well, then the drugs like, I will, let me try that. Maybe that's it. You've got the cocaine, you've got the booze, you've got the women. And the next thing you know, you've got separate tour buses. And the only time you're finding yourself together is when you meet on stage to play. And I think that sometimes success can be a disaster. During the highly successful 1990 Flesh and Blood tour, substance abuse began to tear the band apart. Tension between CeCe and Brett was more than evident. Welcome to the 1991 MTV Video Music Awards! At the 1991 MTV Video Music Awards, Poison very publicly came unraveled when a wasted CeCe made a spectacle of himself. The whole time Cease was walking to the stage, he kept screaming to some guy, I don't know who the guy was, that he wanted to do a solo record. And I'm like, solo record? What are you talking about? I'll tell you straight out, it was no surprise that Cece had a huge drug problem, and Cece was a mess. He was so high and so drunk and had no clue what he was doing. His guitar chord comes out. He doesn't know it. I'm singing Talk Dirty to me, looking over. I got to tell you something. It was a moment in time when I wished I could just stop it and, and just start over. We should have walked right up there and said, you know what, we are in no shape to do this. We've been on the road for almost a year. All of us are partying too much. Cece happened to be doing one substance. I happened to be doing another. And I'm not sure what Ricky and Bobby were doing. It was the perfect storm, and it was disaster coming from north, south, east, and west, and it just hit. We walk off the stage, and me and Cece are in a fist fight. When you take someone that's your friend and you're physically punching each other in the face, it is a awful feeling. There's nothing good comes from it. And, you know, that was that. That was the last time Brett and Cece spoke for years. Me and Cece have knocked some teeth out. He broke my nose. He got a good shot and he did a great shot. I got two back, though. So I, I evened it up a little bit. But just like all the great um, rock and roll bands and great headbutting uh, that goes on between singer and guitar player, uh, we took it up a notch. That energy, that dichotomy was for real. After six years together, CeCe left the band. His departure and decline into drug addiction served as another major heartbreak in Brett's life. CeCe was literally killing himself. And it's painful to watch your friend go through it, knowing that you can't help him. As Poison soldiered on without Cece, the bottle became Brett's new best friend. We were out hitting the bars almost every night, bringing home, you know, party after party after party. We were having like little backstage Poison parties in his living room. I had fallen into a period of my life, I, I call it a, a dark period of the most awesome partying and I was filling a void of feeling that things were changing. Brett's hard partying would nearly cost him his life. In May of 1994, after a night of drinking on the Sunset Strip, Brett hopped into his Ferrari and started speeding home. He lost control of his car and crashed head-on into a telephone pole. I still look at the, the photos sometimes, and I look at that car bent back over itself where my head went through the windshield. I think, man, it is, it is amazing I'm alive. 
for me, no doubt, a defining moment in my life. And I realized that my partying and my lifestyle at that point was completely out of control. Brett wasn't the only one going down a dangerous path. After his break with poison, C.C. DeVille holed up in his Hollywood Hills mansion, indulging all his worst habits. He found himself addicted to alcohol and cocaine. It became the house of horrors. Because I, I just, like, there was a, almost like a psychosis set in. It's dark, 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 dark times. Very dark. When you're proverbially in the gutter, morally in the gutter, death is almost welcome. There's been many times when I've been like, boy, you know, be, to die here would be a lot easier than just having to go on. Poison replaced CC with guitarist Richie Kotzen. But as they toured for their fourth album, Native Tongue, Brett couldn't help but notice that the onstage magic was missing. I was looking over at, at Richie and saying, man, I just wish CeCe was there. It always felt awkward. It feels awkward with anyone but CeCe. Poison is Bobby, Ricky, Brett, and CeCe. That is poison that will always be poison. We had ourselves a hell of a run. We are also falling apart in every way that you could imagine. As the band struggled to bounce back from the loss of CeCe, changing trends in the music industry moved Poison out of the mainstream. The media and a lot of the video programs turned their back. They told us, don't send us another video. Those are exact words. They were like, you don't need to send us to us. We're not going to play it. A year later, Capitol Records rejected the band's Crack a Smile album. It was just a bad omen for Poison that they had a whole album of material. It never came out. As a musician, when you hear people talking about you like you're a product, like you're a can of soda, and yeah, they're not worth this much, or they're great, these are the same people that loved you, but all of a sudden the media changed, and the trends changed, and now you weren't hip or cool anymore. With Poison on hold, Brett became the Nashville songwriter, actor, and independent filmmaker. While Brett shifted his career, Ex-band member C.C. DeVille was waging a private battle against his old enemy, cocaine. The tricky thing is, as you do drugs, the quality of your life goes down to the point where living and dying is almost level. And that's what's scary, because it knocks you down like that. In 1996, at the age of 34, he finally decided to get clean by going cold turkey. There's no great ending to the story. I mean, I just got sick of being sick, and I just said to myself, that's it, you gotta get better. And I waited long enough that when I said it was time to get better, I meant it. The fact of the matter is that CeCe's alive. CeCe's alive today to tell about it. Maybe the man upstairs has a grand scheme, I don't know. Lately, I'm trying to make the most of while I'm here. I'm scared to die only because I'm scared to not be, to be, not be part of tomorrow. By 1998, Poison was ready to get back together again. Now that CC was clean and sober, the band decided to tour America. We started talking about going back out on the road and making music again, and for me, that was an incredible feeling. It just was a time in my life where I was just ready to go back out. For the first time in eight years, Brett and CeCe were reigniting their chemistry. 
whatever was happening with Poison, trying to make a band work. There's gonna be drama, but when it's time to go on stage, changes completely. You all come together for that one moment and you go, this is everything that we've been through, this is everything that we are, and this is everything that we're going to be. So let's go give it to that audience. There is a bond with Poison and it's unbreakable. As much as we've beaten the hell out of each other, there's still a love and a bond there. Your true fans don't go away. What they play on the radio, whether it moves up or down, uh, sideways, your true fans are there with you. And they showed up, and I love them for it. But it felt amazing to be on stage with my buddies again. And I look at these clips and I go, this is awesome. And same exact party. You know, four buddies that grew up together. It was incredible. Their music's real. We work hard at it. And without Bobby, Ricky, Cece, I would not be sitting here having this conversation with you. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. After Poison's triumphant 1999 reunion, Brett Michaels spent the next few years splitting his time between the band and his solo career. Creatively, he was firing on all cylinders. And in 2007, Brett got a phone call that would bring him continued success. VH1 asked him to headline a dating show called Rock of Love. Rock of Love tapped into the perfectly symbiotic relationship between rock stars and the women who love them. And when the cameras began to roll, Brett was ready to rock. Being one of the first people to step into reality TV, especially as a musician, you have to see the big picture. The show revved up the rocker's music career, turning him into a pop culture icon for a second time. All of a sudden, that new realm, that new world of reality TV, and, and being an artist or a musician, it just collided. But I was about to go through a pretty low moment in my life. In 2000, Brett found a new experience that rocked his world. Fatherhood. Daughter Rain Elizabeth was born to Brett and girlfriend Christy Lynn Gibson. They welcomed the second daughter, Georgia Blue, five years later. The love that I have for my two daughters, Rain and Georgia, is it's truly unconditional love. There's no words to quite describe the emotion of what you feel when you have a child. I truly understand what it means to when you say, I will die for you. No words spoken don't need to say anything. I would die for my kids. My family, Christy and Rain and Georgia, it's a big part of who I am. Christy and I, we are extremely close. She is an incredible, incredible human being. Not just as a mom, but as a great person. And so we just every day make it work. Brett strived to balance family life with his time on the road. 
But one night before a show in Texas, things began to go horribly wrong. I'm in San Antonio, and I have this unbelievable pain in my lower stomach, and I thought uh, for sure that it was just the flu. I'm like, I can get through this. Next thing I know, I ended up in the emergency room with emergency appendectomy. After successful surgery to repair his burst appendix, Brett was forced off the road and sent home to recuperate. I get home, sit down on my couch, and I'm flipping channels, and it was instant. There's a <sighs> into my brain. I had a subarachnoid brain hemorrhage. The appendectomy blood clot floated up, shot through, up into my brain, and exploded. Literally, it explodes in your brain. And there is no pain like that pain. And there's no way to get rid of it. I end up in ICU on the verge of living or dying, you're not sure. And I'm thinking, isn't this gonna kill me? From the pain, you sort of go into your own form of a coma. And I woke up three days later. After undergoing brain surgery, Brett was confined to a hospital bed for weeks. While recuperating, he had lost his ability to walk and talk. I was driven to walk and talk again. I crawled onto that hallway up and down, driving everyone crazy, because middle of the night, I just kept going. Started to feel strong, went home, and the first thing I did when I got back is I picked up my youngest daughter, JJ, and I have a TIA, which is a stroke. The left side of my body completely went numb. Back in the emergency room, and I'm like, this can't be happening. While running tests, Brett's doctors discovered another very serious issue. They said something else is wrong. I'm like, oh no, please don't. What's wrong now? They come back in with a specialist and it ends up I have a hole in my heart. Talk about a low moment in your life. That's a low moment. Talk about trying to dig in and find that inner faith, inner strength, whatever you want to call it, that, that's when you got to dig in deep. When you're laying there and it's going to take you and the help of the great people around you to, 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 to survive. I can't let fear creep in. It's there. It's always knocking at the door, but I don't want to spin in that direction. I said, if I get a chance, I've always been grateful, but you're gonna see a mega level of gratefulness. A gear I never even knew was in the car. I got that chance again, and I, I just let it rock from there. After surgery to repair his heart, Brett was back on his feet. I am grateful to be here. You talk about adding on to Behind the Music, I am grateful to be here on many different levels. <laughs> Just months after leaving the hospital, Brett was ready to take the stage once again with Poison and his solo band. I still have the pain in my brain. 
still got the body not quite working right. But I know one thing about me, I have to go out and try. And it was the most incredible show. I couldn't move like I like to move. I couldn't quite talk like I like to talk. But it was an incredible, unbelievable moment in my life. You know when some people say, I'm grateful for fans? I am beyond grateful because they were life-saving to me. Their goodwill and good spirit was, was a big part of why I'm sitting here today. My love of the fans is always the same. I will be in that parking lot, throwing football, partying with people, having a great time, and it's about the fans. Brett has never stopped writing and producing new music, evolving into one of rock's most consistent forces. The cool thing about Brett, he does stuff that's a little outside of what he would do with Poison. It's about being able to share music with your fans and challenge the way they hear you. Nobody does it better than him in a lot of ways. Brett has worked with Loretta Lynn and Miley Cyrus, and he had a profound musical connection with Stevie Nicks. To be able to work with someone like Stevie Nicks, everything I dreamed about what music would be like if I went to Los Angeles came true. We went in the studio and we sat there and it was one of the most magical nights of my life. But Brett's most impactful collaboration was with his daughter, Georgia, who is following in her dad's footsteps as an aspiring singer and songwriter. I was having a tough time with my diabetes and uh, was having some severe highs and lows and trying to get it into control. So I was fighting with that. I was getting a little down. And my daughter was going through what, what everybody's going through with social media. And I could tell that Georgia was really down and we just started writing lyrics. And together, we wrote Unbroken, and it is truly about perseverance. I love my daughters, and you hope that you set an example and lead by that example. I have a fighting spirit. I don't want them to think that every day you wake up and it's, oh man, everything's going great. What I try to teach them is, is how to handle when adversity comes at you. All those ups and downs that he had, he's still just Brett Michaels, man. Giving everything he's got. That's so infectious. You have to have perseverance. That determination, that energy that defines who you are. You have to take that risk if you want to succeed. You just have to stay in the game. You have to constantly face the challenges. You gotta love what you're doing. But the most important thing, you gotta bet on yourself. Listen to Behind the Music on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Want more episodes? You can watch Remastered, Best of the Vault, and new episodes of Behind the Music, only on Paramount+. Plus.
John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.